1: I'm Kristen Pitts. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's Let's go go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about the disappearance of Bobby Dunbar.
0: (laughs) And I'll be talking about the suicide of Conrad Roy. Oh. Did text messages make him do it? (laughs) I'm
1: sorry, I wanted to do a sound that was different than yours. We're talking about a dead person. This podcast is in poor taste. This is. I would turn back
0: now if I were (laughs) (laughs) you.
1: I'm excited for yours because I feel like I read one article about this Uh case and nothing more. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I'm excited about it because
0: I have very strong opinions about it. And so I'm interested to see if our opinions... Are the same.
1: I tend to not have many will, opinions about anything. If this will spark a great debate between us. <laughs> kind of like the Mona Lisa. One. Yes, do not get me started, <laughs> Kristen. Randy, I just I just want us to go on an art heist together. That's all I want. It'll be fine. We'll find a place to sell it. So this
0: case, when planning for this week, popped into my head. It's a case that I followed. ...from the beginning, but honestly hadn't even considered doing it for the podcast. It was not on my list of cases Isn't to do. Isn't that so weird how that happens? It's, yeah, it's yeah. super weird. And I was just like doing some hair one day, and mm-hmm. I was like, that's the case. That's the case I need to do. And by one day, you mean two days ago? That is correct, <laughs> Kristen. <laughs> I pulled my info for this episode from a 48 Hours episode and articles by Marin Kogan, Nick dacosta klippa and Dan Glon. Glon. <laughs> sorry, Dan I Glon. I sorry
1: for Dan Glon compared to that Clippa person. I know. I love that name. Well, that's, like, really cool. It is. <laughs> Listen, Mr. Glom. As Dan Glon. <laughs> I, I feel for you. <laughs> I
0: would just like to say that I have spring allergies, and they're kind of kicking my ass today. I would also like to say that I was... <laughs> <laughs> really upset about the last episode we put out because I sound like the loudest fucking mouth breather
1: on the planet okay, in okay. the episode. <laughs> I can explain. It's the old mic. It mics. sounds like I'm like <laughs> Tell me more, Kristen. <laughs> I've often wondered if Brandy was a serial killer. <laughs> she puts the she puts the receiver like right to her nose. I really like sniffing a good mic. <laughs>
0: oh, God. Anyway, mm. so I apologize if on episode 13, you guys were disturbed <laughs> by my mouth breathing as I was. What if
1: some people really liked it? Well, then I guess they found the podcast for them. <laughs> You wouldn't be disturbed about the people who really liked your
0: mouth breathing. Uh maybe slightly, yeah. but hey, a fan's a fan. <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers. That's we'll take you all. All right, enough of this comedy.
1: Mm, okay. Let's get to
0: the seriousness of Let's this podcast. To- really, this is kind of a heavy a heavy story. Okay. Obviously, I told you it's about a suicide, yeah. so we know it's going to be sad. So maybe we need to cut the jokes and yes. just get right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Man. Kristen. Serious business time. Don't give me that mouth-breathing Steve
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. Here we go. Conrad Roy's family called him Coco. His grandfather was Conrad Sr. His father was Conrad Jr. Co for short. So Coco just seemed to fit. He was thin but athletic in high school, and he played baseball and road crew. Conrad grew up in Mattapoisett, Massachusetts, which is probably not pronounced correctly because those fucking towns in Massachusetts are never pronounced phonetically.
1: Well, and there's definitely not a question mark at the end. <laughs> I gotta say, when you said he rode crew, we all knew he was from Massachusetts. So we get it. Yes. so Massapoiset
0: is a small coastal town 65 miles south of Boston. His grandfather owned a tugboat company there and Roy followed in his grandfather's and father's footsteps, earning his captain's license in 2014 when he was 18 years old. So he worked for the family company. Conrad's mother, Lynn, described him as a very happy child, but said that as he developed into a teenager, he struggled with extreme social anxiety and depression. Mm. When he was 17, he overdosed on acetaminophen in an attempt at suicide. He took the pills, then called his friend, Ariana told her what he'd done and that he was feeling sick. And she immediately contacted his parents who got him medical attention. Good. By July of 2014, Conrad's family said that he seemed to be coping with his anxiety and coming out from the dark cloud of his depression. He had seen several counselors and psychiatrists and it really seemed to be helping. He seemed to be back to his more jovial, youthful self. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: On July 12th, 2014, Conrad spent the day with his mom and sisters. He took his younger sisters to the beach and out for ice cream. They said that with the exception of one point in the day where he sat alone on the beach texting and appearing anxious, that his demeanor and mood had been great. Around six o'clock that evening, Conrad told his mother that he was leaving to go see a friend. She asked him if he'd be home for dinner, and he said he didn't think so. When Conrad wasn't back home as she was getting ready for bed that night around 1030 or 11, she texted him to check in. No response. Then when she woke up in the middle of the night and he still wasn't home, she texted him again. And again, no response. Mm. As the sun came up on July 13th, Conrad was still not home. And now Lynn was very worried. It was completely out of character for Conrad to stay out all night. And he'd never let her worry like this. Lynn began her search for her son early that morning. She went to his friend Ariana's house. He wasn't there. She thought of all the places he might frequent and, by, and one by one, checked them off the list. After an hour of searching, Lynn said she felt a rush through her body like nothing she'd ever felt before. She felt her son was no longer with her. Oh. Ugh. I can't even imagine. No. That feeling. That afternoon, police located Conrad's car in the parking lot of a, K- of a Kmart not far from the Roy's home. Inside the truck was a generator and Conrad's body. He had died of intentional carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, His cell phone sat on the seat next to his lifeless body. The family was devastated. But no one really questioned the suicide knowing his past. Mm -hmm. That is, until police got a hold of Conrad Roy's cell phone. This would prove to be a case like no other. No gun, no knife, no crucial DNA. Only a trail of words starting with those on the cell phone. Messages with Michelle Carter. Messages that would ultimately lead to the question... Can someone be held criminally responsible for another person's suicide? But first, who is Michelle Carter? Do you know who she is, Kristen? She's just a fellow (laughs) high school student, right? Yeah. Okay. So Michelle and Conrad had met. I'm sorry, I thought that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> it was a rhetorical question, but then I paused too long, so... so you put it what on did? me? What a good friend. You're the best. <laughs> I had to just spread the awkwardness around. Okay, fair enough. So, Michelle and Conrad had met in Florida when their families were both vacationing there a couple of years earlier. They connected quickly, and when they learned they only lived about 35 miles away from each other in Massachusetts, they exchanged numbers and kept in contact after their vacations ended. Mm -hmm. Roy and Carter struck up a thoroughly modern teenage romance, texting, telling each other their secrets, saying they loved each other, but only meeting in person, as far as their families knew, a couple of times. Right. The relationship continued on and off for three years and many thousands of text messages. It ended in 2014 with Roy's suicide and an involuntary manslaughter charge against Carter. In the days after his death, police officers gained access to Conrad Roy's phone. They found all of his text message threads erased, except for one, the texts with Carter. What? Yeah, that was the. He had erased all the other messages on his phone except for his text exchange with Michelle Carter. The officer leading the investigation, Scott Gordon, scrolled back through the thread. To his astonishment, Carter appeared to have been not discouraging Roy's suicidal thoughts, but egging them on. Mm. Investigators believed. Carter played a significant coercive role in the teenager's suicide. In one texting conversation, she consoled Conrad that his family would come to accept his suicide. This is what she said. I think your parents know you're in a really bad place. I'm not saying they want you to do it, but I honestly feel like they can accept it. They know there's nothing they can do. They've tried helping Everyone's tried, but there is a point that comes where there isn't anything anyone can do to save you, not even yourself.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And you've hit that point, and I think your parents know that you've hit that point. You said your mom saw a suicide thing on your computer, and she didn't even say anything. I think she knows it's on your mind, and she's prepared for it.
1: What the hell? I mean, this
0: just is so disgusting to me, and it just gets worse. So prepare yourself. (laughs) Everyone will be sad for a while, but they will get over it and move on. They won't be in a depression. I won't let that happen. They know how sad you are. And they know that you are doing this to be happy. And I think they will understand and accept it. They will always carry you in their hearts. They will move on for you because they know that's what you would have wanted. They know you wouldn't want them to be sad and depressed and be angry and guilty. They know you want them to live their lives and be happy. So they will. For you. You're right. You need to stop thinking about this and just do it.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And Conrad responded to that chain by saying, yeah, I've been thinking about it for too long. And Carter says back, always smile. And yeah, you just have to do it. You have everything you need. There's no way you can fail. Tonight is the night. It's now or never. What? Yes. So the this chain happened, like, in the week leading up to a suicide. Okay. So they exchanged, I don't even know, hundreds of text messages in the week leading up to a suicide. And all of them were him... Deciding if he was ready to do it and mm-hmm. her saying, just get on it. with it. Go for it. Do it.
1: How old was she again?
0: She was a year younger than him. So she was 17 and he was 18. Okay. In another exchange, Carter told Conrad not to be afraid of another suicide attempt. Carter, if you don't think about it, you won't think about failing. You'll just do it and then you'll succeed. Conrad. Right. That's what I'm thinking about. I read so much about failed attempts gone wrong that's gotten me discouraged. This is so weird. It's so weird. Carter. Yeah, exactly. So stop doing that. There's more success than there are failures. Conrad goes, are you kidding Uh... me? And Carter says. You have to look at it that way. And people only fail because they have the
1: same mindset as you, thinking
0: they'll fail.
1: This is so weird. I'm thinking about this kind of out of this context. Yeah. It's like an inspirational. It is. That's exactly
0: what it's like. And it's interesting because that's kind of how the defense spends it later. Okay. Okay. Conrad says, I really want to believe you. And Carter says, why don't you? You can't think about it. You just have to do it. You said you were going to do it. Like, I don't get why you aren't. And Conrad says, I don't get it either. I don't know. And Carter is like getting almost, like, angry at this point. And she's like... Well, yeah, because uh, she wants him to <clears throat> succeed. Yeah, huh She says, So, I guess you aren't going to do it then? All that for nothing? I'm just confused. Like, you were so ready and determined. And Conrad says, I'm going to eventually... I really don't know what I'm waiting for. <sighs> I am so disturbed by these messages because... Someone who is having suicidal thoughts reaches out to people to be given hope. Yeah. And reasons not to do it. For help. Yeah. Not encouragement to go through with it. Yeah. Which his history shows that, to me, shows that that was what he was looking for. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he attempted suicide before, he immediately called a friend, and the friend
1: did the right did thing. the right
0: thing and got him help.
1: Well, yeah, I don't think you would ever talk to someone and say I'm considering suicide and not be asking for exactly. Help. Even if you don't say I need I help. need help, the exactly, you would mention it to someone else. Yes. Ugh.
0: Yeah. Another text message chain showed that Michelle Carter helped Conrad come up with the method of suicide. When he suggested carbon monoxide poisoning, Carter was super supportive. Great. She said, yeah, it'll work. If you emit 3,200 parts per million of it for five or 10 minutes, you will die within a half hour. You lose consciousness with no pain. You just fall asleep and die. You can also just take a hose and run that from the exhaust pipe to the rear window in your car and seal it with duct tape and shirts so it can't escape. You'll die within like 20 or 30 minutes, all pain free. What the fuck?
1: So she researched this. Yes. For him.
0: Yes. And so then they made the decision. Like he was like, well, I don't think I can do the hose thing, you know, whatever. And she's like, well, can you get a generator? And he's like, well, my dad has a generator, but it doesn't work. And so she tells him to take it to Sears and get it repaired. And so he does. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. In another text, Carter suggested other methods of suicide if carbon monoxide poisoning didn't work. Carter says, well, I would do the carbon monoxide. That's honestly the best way. And I know it's hard to find a tank. So if you could use another car or something like that, then do that. But next, I'd try a bag or hanging. Hanging is painless and takes like a second if you do it right.
1: Uh, no. Okay, first of all, where the fuck is
0: she getting this information?
1: Uh, She consulted Dr. Google, but yeah. I mean, I don't think hanging is painless. I don't think hanging is
0: painless either. Okay, so now we're to the morning of July 12th. Okay. Carter sends Conrad messages suggesting he commits suicide during the day, that day, and presses him to follow through. Carter says, are you going to do it today? And Conrad says, yes. Carter, like in the daytime? Conrad, should I? Carter. Carter. Yeah, it's less suspicious. What the fuck does that mean? First of all,
1: I wonder if she's thinking your parents won't be looking for you. People won't be looking for you in the daytime. Yeah, yeah,
0: that could make sense. All right. I see you think just like (laughs) Michelle (laughs) Carter. And she goes on to say, you won't think about it as much and you'll get it over with instead of waiting until the night. And Conrad says, yeah, then I will. Like, where? Like, where should I go? like an enclosed area. And Carter says, go in your truck and drive in a parking lot somewhere to a park or something. Do it early. Do it now. Like early. What the hell? And Conrad says, like, why am I so hesitant lately? Like two weeks ago, I was willing to try everything. And now I'm worse, really bad. And I'm not falling through. It's eating me inside. Like, he's saying that a couple weeks ago he was, like, feeling even more in a depression. Mm -hmm. He was even more ready to commit suicide. And now he's, like, not thinking he wants to go through with it, which.
1: Which apparently is not the right answer.
0: uh, No. (laughs) Because this is what Carter says back. Oh, God. You're so hesitant because you keep overthinking it and keep pushing it off. You just need to do it, Conrad. The more you push it off, the more it will eat at you. You're ready and prepared. All you have to do is turn the generator on and you will be free and happy. No more pushing it off. No more waiting. And Conrad says, you're right. I'm going to do it today. And Carter says, you promise? Ew. I mean, what? What the hell? What the hell? Terrible. Terrible. And Conrad says, I promise I have to now. No. And Carter says, like right now? Conrad says, where do I go? And Carter says, you can't break a promise. Shut up. And just go on a quiet parking lot or something. These texts that I just read you were the ones Conrad was exchanging when his sisters remembered him sitting on the beach yeah. looking anxious alone.
1: You can't break a promise. You
0: can't break a promise. What the fuck is wrong with this girl?
1: I'm excited is not the word, but I'm eager to hear more about her. Yeah. Because clearly something's up with her. Yes.
0: Yes. Something. (laughs) The defense has one theory about what's up with her. Sure. I have a different theory. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure you're more knowledgeable. (laughs) (laughs) That evening, when Michelle hadn't heard from Conrad in a little bit, she began texting him again to make sure he was going to follow through. Carter, are you going to do it now? Conrad, I just don't know how to leave them, you know? Mm. Car- he's talking about his, his family? family? Oh, God. mouse family. Carter, say you're going to the store or something. Oh, my God. Conrad, like, I want them to know that I love them. Carter, they know. That's the one thing they definitely know. You're overthinking. Conrad. I know I'm overthinking. I've been overthinking for a while now. Carter. I know. You just have to do it like you said. Are you going to do it now? Conrad. I still haven't left yet. Carter. Why? Conrad. Leaving now. Carter. Okay. You can do this. Conrad, okay, I'm almost there. Oh. That was the last text message Conrad Roy would ever send. In a separate text to a friend, Carter admitted that she had been on the phone with Conrad as he died. Phone records show two 45-minute phone calls between the two around the time of his death. At one point, As the generator was running, he began to feel sick and got out of his truck because he was scared. Mm -hmm. And she told him to get back in. (sighs) A text to her friend said, if it weren't for me, he would still be alive. I could have stopped him, but I told him to get back in. Yeah. Whoa. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prosecutors, like Kristen, yeah. <laughs> were stunned <laughs> when investigators turned these messages over to them. Yeah. To them, the messages showed that Carter had firsthand knowledge of Roy's suicidal thoughts, and instead of attempting to assist him or notify his family or school officials, Carter strongly influenced his decision to take his own life, encouraged him to commit suicide, and guided him in his engagement of activities which led to his death.
1: Guided him him in his engagement of activities. <laughs> that's the official
0: <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's from the official like probable cause statement. Okay. Yeah. Someone has a way with words. <laughs> On february fifth, twenty fifteen. Michelle Carter was charged with involuntary manslaughter and the death of Conrad Roy. What would follow would be a lengthy legal battle fueled by the fact that Massachusetts is one of 10 States that does not have laws against assisted suicide. And the fact that Michelle was an hour away from Conrad when he died, the road to justice would be complicated and fucking long. (laughs) Um, Carter's lawyers argued that her texts were free speech and didn't cause Conrad to kill himself and that no actual crime had been committed. Mm -hmm. That fight went all the way to the Supreme Supreme Judicial Court, which is Massachusetts highest appellate court. Okay. That court, in a strongly worded decision, said the grand jury heard evidence suggesting that Carter engaged in a, quote, systematic campaign of coercion that targeted Roy's insecurities and that her instruction to get back in his truck in the final moments of his life was a direct, casual link to his death.
1: Causal link? It says,
0: yes, that's correct. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: <gasps> <laughs> it was a causal link <laughs> to his death. It was a casual link. It was a it casual was like link. Like, shorts, yeah, yeah. Flip flops. Uh-huh. Like one of those, like, you know, button-ups but with short sleeves. Sure, yeah, sure. <laughs> Clearly, it was a direct causal link, Kristen.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, excuse me.
0: In sum, we conclude that there was probable cause to show that the coercive co- coercive quality of the defendant's verbal conduct overwhelmed whatever willpower the 18-year-old victim had to cope with his depression. And that, but for Mm -hmm. the defendant's admonishments, pressure, and instructions, the victim would not have gotten back into the truck and poisoned himself to death. Justice Robert Cordy wrote for the court in a unanimous ruling. What do you think about that?
1: Um... Yeah, it's interesting to hear all of this stuff because Mm -hmm. like I said, I I think I read one or two articles about this and I always felt like people were too hard on her Mm -hmm. Um, because I thought, well, God, they're just words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But now that I know more about what was said and now that I know that she told him to get back in the car, Uh to me that's the part that's... That's the kicker.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: So I, I'm with the judge, I think.
0: Yeah, I am too. Finally, in June of 2017, nearly three years after Conrad Roy's death, Michelle's trial would begin. Michelle's attorneys, fearing how the texts would play in court, uh-huh. advised her to waive her trial to a jury. Waived her right to a jury trial. For fuck's sake! It's written correctly. I just can't fucking read. We're
1: too tired. We discussed this before we started recording. Uh, Yes. You stayed up way too late. Way too late working on this episode and you had two drinks last night, Kristen. I had two whiskeys on the rocks (laughs) and because I am old, I woke up at one in the morning so dehydrated and miserable. You would have thought I had been like fall down drunk. Right?
0: Yeah. We're just living our best lives here today, Kristen. <laughs> I'm just gonna hit that again so that it's I also understood wanna know both of
1: our ponytails are askew today. <laughs> Rocking the cute ponytail that you were rocking last nope. time we recorded. I'm going to be honest. I did this ponytail yesterday.
0: <laughs> uh, mine uh, was. Oh, well, that you fixed yours. So well,
1: you just kind of falls Man, down a little F- bit. you. Okay. <laughs> mine is not that easily fixed.
0: <laughs> okay. Back to court, Kristen. Gotcha. I'm with you. Michelle's attorneys, fearing how the text would play, advised her to waive her right to a jury trial, as -hmm. it turns out. Not to wave at the jury as the trial went by. Yeah, they're like, look,
1: (laughs) these text messages look bad. You should probably wave and smile. Maybe blow kisses. (laughs) Do something to balance this out. So she did, and she put her hands (laughs) in the judge's hands. And said, (laughs) This is a shit (laughs) show.
0: I even read this through because I knew I wrote it so late last night. I read
1: this through three times this morning. I think it's time to to pause and be honest with our listeners. (laughs) So I have... I have summertime obligations this summer. <laughs> that sounds really cryptic yes. and weird. <laughs> no, I've, I've got a writing course that I'm doing. And so we are recording like two of these a week. And we've been doing fine. Until today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it all piled on top of us today. And now we're like, we can't do this anymore. Okay. So we'll we'll figure it out a way.
0: I'm very sorry for this episode.
1: <laughs> This is even less professional than our other than usual,
0: which is oh man, that is rough. <laughs> she put her fate, as mm. it turns out, in oh. the hands of the judge. Gotcha, <laughs> Judge Lawrence Meniz Moniz Moniz. 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 <laughs> Monizy <laughs> M O N I Z.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Moniz.
0: I'm going to go with Moniz. Moniz? Moniz. All right, we'll go with Moniz. That's what Kristen... Sure. We'll just do what Kristen wants. Hmm. It's called, let's go to court with Kristen Pitts. Look, just put your hands in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> At trial, Prosecutor Mary Claire Flynn said of Carter, she assisted and devised and advised and planned his suicide. She told him... That once he was dead, he would be happy and free. On July 12th, 2014, as his truck was filling with carbon monoxide, he was scared. He got out. It was the defendant on the other end of the phone who ordered him back in and listened for 20 minutes as he cried in pain and took his last breath and died.
1: Oh, my.
0: So... One of her friends testifies at trial that she told her that she called him and that he answered, but that he didn't say anything. And she could just hear him, like, gasping and moaning in the background and that she listened for 20 minutes. Ew. Yeah. Yes. Terrible. The prosecutor goes on to say... The alleged weapon in this case, Michelle Carter's own words. The prosecution argued that though she was 35 miles away at the time of Conrad's death, that her virtual presence caused him to take his life. Michelle showed little emotion at the trial. Her defense relied on psychiatrist Peter Bregan, who was not treating Michelle, but attempted to explain her behavior. He testified that she was involuntarily intoxicated by an antidepressant drug she started taking three months earlier called Celexa. This is what he says. She's not thinking she's doing something criminal. She's found a way to help her boyfriend, testified Bregan. She was enmeshed in a delusion. She was unable to form intent Because she was so grandiose. You'll see grandiosity. Her deciding with him that she can help him. He wants to die. He wants to go to heaven. And he doesn't want to hurt his family. And she believes that she can do all of that. So that is what I'm saying kind of sides with what you were saying earlier. Uh, How she's like cheering him on, you know, kind of. Because she, according to her defense, feels like she's helping him. By assisting him to complete suicide. Right. She's helping him reach for the stars and achieve his dreams.
1: She's the Tony Robbins of suicide. Suicide. Yep. No. No. I believe, and
0: Mm. this is what the prosecution's kind of take was, was that she was doing it for attention. To be the girl whose boyfriend died. Because after he died, she reached out to all these friends and was like, Oh my God, I couldn't, can't believe I couldn't save him. I tried everything to save him. She organized a fundraiser in his name in her town, which was an hour away from where he lived, Uh didn't tell his family or anything about it.
1: So, who did it raise funds for?
0: National suicide prevention or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Right around this same time, I think, there was an episode of Glee that dealt with one of the characters dying. The actor died in real life and they wrote his death into the okay. into the storyline of Glee. And there's a quote in Glee when the guy's girlfriend is like, we had our future planned out. And someone says, oh, did he know that you had, had your future planned out? And she said, of course he knew. And she, I didn't write this down and I wish I had, but she, Michelle Carter- Take, took this exact quote from Glee and texted it to a friend of hers as if it was her own thoughts and opinions. Yeah. It's disgusting. I completely think she was doing this for attention.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Okay.
0: According to the prosecution, Michelle Carter helped put Conrad Roy in his grave. It was a felony, and she caused him serious bodily harm. According to the defense... She didn't know what she was doing. She was psychotic, delusional, involuntarily intoxicated from taking the antidepressant Selexa. So, on this episode of 48 Hours, they bring in like a mental, uh, some mental health expert. Sure. And she's like, I've never heard of involuntarily intoxicated. That's not something that exists.
1: Okay. That's what I was wondering. They
0: created this notion uh... for this defense.
1: They shouldn't be allowed to do that. I know.
0: Yes, okay. she's like that is not an accepted belief in the mental health world. It's okay. not a condition that exists this um hmm. this expert that they used in court, this Dr. Bregan, psychiatrist Peter Bregan, he doesn't believe his own medical beliefs are that depression is not a real physical chemical thing in someone's brain and he believes yes which is not the accepted belief of the the mental health world no yes i don't know where they found this expert yeah but he does not believe that and so then so then he doesn't believe in the need for antidepressants oh god yes yeah it's crazy
1: so he was the one who put forth this theory that she these was in antidepressants mm-hmm. had messed with her yeah. good grief.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. After six days of testimony during which Carter's friends and acquaintances described her social social insecurities struggles with an eating disorder and desperate need for validation as well as the. Potentially incriminating accounts of phone calls that she had had with Roy, so the ones that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. as he sat in his truck that night. Um, closing arguments began. So six days this went on. They brought on those medical experts. They brought on some friends that knew her, talked about her personality, talked about her battles, talked about how she was always looking for people to val- validate her life and, you know, was always attention-seeking. Mm. So closing arguments, then begin. defense attorney Joe Cataldo said in his closing argument, the evidence actually establishes that Conrad Roy caused his own death. Conrad had attempted suicide before. The decision to die was Conrad's, not Michelle's. He created the situation, Your Honor. She didn't create this situation of somebody who said, I don't want to kill myself. I have no thoughts of that. Everything's good with me. And somehow trick him or bribe him or threaten him to do something as drastic as suicide. Which I actually think is a fairly valid argument. Yeah. She didn't take somebody who had no thoughts of suicide at all and somehow make them kill himself.
1: I don't think she's solely responsible, which... Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, because I don't think she could go up to someone who was not suffering from absolutely. depression and anxiety and convince them absolutely to kill themselves.
0: But did she prey on someone who was having... Hell yeah. Absolutely.
1: 100%. I guess there goes our shot at a really engaging battle and discussion. <laughs> um, the defense finished
0: by saying, most importantly... Michelle was nowhere near Conrad when he killed himself. There's no evidence that Michelle Carter has any physical actions whatsoever in this case. Which is true.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. She wasn't there, but her voice was. She was egging him on. Yeah. The prosecution closed by saying, although she wasn't physically present... (laughs) (laughs) What Would you write? No, I wrote it right, but... (laughs) Uh, That's basically what I just said. Um, Although she wasn't physically present, she was in his ear. She was in his mind. She was on the phone. And she was telling him to get back in the car, even though she knew he was going to die. She absolutely knew it was wrong. And she absolutely caused the death of this 18-year-old boy. And I ask you to find her guilty. So another text message that she sent to a friend was... um. She sent it in September, so he died in July, sent this to a friend in September, and said basically, the police are looking at his messages. If they find my messages, I'm done. I will go to jail. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So she knew what she did was wrong. Oh, yeah. How'd you decide you wanted the judge's last name pronounced?
1: I don't even remember. Moniz? Moniz?
0: Judge Moniz deliberated for three days before rendering his verdict. In a statement before his ruling, Moniz said that it was the phone calls between Roy and Carter as he sat in his truck, not the chain of text messages in the prior days that caused Roy's death. So that's exactly what you said. Yeah, yeah. It's the phone call where she says, where he's gotten out of the truck. And she tells him to get back in. in.
1: And when she listens to him Mm -hmm. die, no, that yeah. can't be legal to yeah. just listen to someone do that. Yep.
0: He found Michelle Carter guilty, stating that she caused a dangerous environment, and under Massachusetts law, she had a duty to save him. Yeah. Yeah. And he cited when he gave this judgment, he cited a case of um, these like vagrants who started a fire in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um. And then didn't tell anyone, and the fire got out of control, and, like, six firefighters died in the fire. Oh. And so they created a hazardous environment, a dangerous, hazardous environment, did not do their duty to warn anybody about it, and it resulted in people's death. Okay. You don't like that comparison?
1: Um... I, I. Mm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, but think about it this way. Uh-huh. Okay. She's the one that su- suggested the generator. She's the one that told him to get it fixed. She created the poisonous environment inside his car.
1: No. He, I mean, yes, she told him to go get those things. Yes, she yes. told him. To, and that was all wrong.
0: Yes. But she. Didn't t- physically start the generator.
1: Right. Yes. Yes. I, I was about to sing. <laughs> she didn't start the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Consider yourself lucky that you cut me off. <laughs> but yeah, um, that other example, I think, is a much more clear example yes. of wrongdoing. Yes, I would agree. this one is slightly more murky.
0: Yes, I would agree. Yeah. Okay. Judge Moniz went on to say she instructed him... To get back in a truck, which she had reason to know has become a toxic environment to human life. She also had a legal obligation to call for help once her actions put Roy's life in danger. And she failed to do so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ms. Carter took no action. She admitted in subsequent texts that she did nothing. At sentencing, seven weeks after being convicted of voluntary manslaughter, Michelle Carter was met with the hostile words of Conrad's family delivered from their victim impact statements. Conrad's sister Camden said, Not a day goes by without him being my first thought waking up and my last thought going to bed. Conrad's father said, Michelle Carter exploited my son's weakness and used him as a pawn in her own well-being. She has not shown any remorse. Where was her humanity? Yeah. In a statement read by the prosecutor because she found it too difficult to speak, Conrad's mother, Lynn, said, I do not know where to begin. I pray that his death will save lives someday. I pray that a law comes forth so that a mother, another mother, does not have to endure what I am. I do not believe that another can go on to encourage someone to take their life, and it can be okay. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. And I think that the difficult thing in this case was that there was no law against this. And. Massachusetts. There's no law against assisted suicide. And I'm not saying... This is not an
1: argument about that. I was going to say, to me, this is not assisted it's suicide. It's not. I agree.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I agree. But that's the legal argument that's being used okay. here. Okay. I agree that this is not assisted suicide. Yeah. I agree that this is way closer to bullying than... assisted suicide yes. this, yes. this is bullying that, re, that resulted in someone's death. Yeah. The prosecution asked for a sentence of 7 to 12 years, which is actually considerably less than the maximum that would be allowed by law. The maximum would be 20 years for involuntary manslaughter in the state of Massachusetts. The defense asked for probation. Mm -hmm. Do you know what she got?
1: Um, I don't remember exactly, but I remember thinking, wow, that's a lot. What'd you get? She
0: was sentenced to two and a half years in prison.
1: Oh, well, then never mind. I must have remembered that, right?
0: <laughs> she, I think she got off so easy. She, Listen to this. Okay. She was sentenced to two and a half years in prison, and she only had to serve 15 months of that. After the 15 months, the remaining part of her sentence would be, um, uh, what's the fucking word? commuted um time served mm-hmm. nope not uh, those words basically held jail free. it would be held as long as she completed her probation which she got 5 years of probation uh uh-huh. it it would it was suspended the oh, rest okay. of it was suspended gotcha. pending she completes her probation without problem it goes away wow yes additionally the judge granted the defense's motion to stay the sentence for the appeals process, which means that Michelle will remain remain on supervised release until her state appeals are exhausted. Michelle has yet to serve a day of her sentence as she is still in the process of appealing. Wow. I just cannot wrap my brain around that sentence. And how come? How come he, it's okay for, it's her... Sentenced to be stayed while she appeals. Why isn't she serving it while she appeals? My guess. Because she's young, right? Is that she's young. And because the sentence is so short, 15 months. Yeah. That she would serve all of it before yeah. her appeals are complete. Uh-huh. And so should she serve all that time and then her appeals are granted, she's erroneously served 15 months in, yeah. in prison. See, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Did she ever apologize to the family? No. Whoa.
0: No. Um, Conrad Roy's family has filed a $4.2 million wrongful death suit against Michelle Carter. And it's Mm. it's still working its way through the legal system.
1: Yeah.
0: Holy crap. So what do you think? Can someone be criminally responsible for another person's suicide?
1: Um, I think it should be a really, really high bar. hmm And I think that high bar, um, I think she met that bar by telling him to get back in the car and listening to him die. Yep. I agree. Now, the stuff before that, that's really, really bad. It's I don't terrible, think but I unpunished. don't think it, yeah, I agree. Um, but I, I don't think you should I don't think, serve jail time. For no, that. exactly.
0: I don't think those prior text messages, while well, they show what kind of person
1: she is. Yeah, and I, I mean, think it, she's a sack of shit, for I, sure. But I
0: don't think it directly resulted in his death. Yeah. The thing that directly resulted in his death was him getting out of the car and her telling him to get back in and then listening on the phone as he died and not making the choice to call his parents, call authorities. Yeah. Get him help.
1: Do you really think she just wanted attention? I do. That is so gross. Yeah,
0: I it's she wanted to be the girl whose boyfriend died. They weren't that close. they didn't they hadn't seen each other in over a year. They sent these text messages, so there wasn't any t- this is my feeling. There wasn't any real loss there to her. There was way more attention to okay. be gained. Okay. And they said that she came to the funeral and she played this grieving widow part. His family barely knew who she was. Yeah. They were appalled when she sat right by them in the family section.
1: Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. That's attention. Yeah. Oh, that's so gross. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Sorry for that downer.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry for my poor delivery of it. No, you
1: didn't. I'm just glad that for once you messed up on your words because I'm always the one who does it. So the fact that you did it, I was like, "Mm, here comes my steak. Very excited. Would you like to hear a bunch of mistakes from me now? I can't wait. Do you know this story? No. You don't know this story? Uh, not, from, not from your intro. Oh, my God. Brandy. Am I going to be on the edge of my seat? This is a crazy story. And I'm not going to tell you kind of where I got it from until the end because okay. I'm afraid it might jog people's memories. Got it. You're okay. going to keep us in the dark. Darn right I am. Okay. Okay. I'm loving it. I'm so excited. August 1912. Ooh,
0: I love it when you do the old-timey ones, because we don't have to worry about anybody coming back and getting pissed at us, and nobody lives five blocks away. No one's going to text us about this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, Leslie and Percy Dunbar go on a fishing trip to Louisiana with their two boys, Bobby and Alonzo. On the trip, four-year-old Bobby goes missing. And his di- disappearance became national news. There was this huge swamp. <laughs> I already messed <laughs> up. <laughs> yes.
0: <There> Vindication. Was...
1: <laughs> so there was this huge search of the swamp where they'd been fishing. But they could only find. You could have sold that. You could I know have I could have. You could have and just sold that. There was a huge swamp and they swamp, searched and they ser- I know. Boy.
0: Man, missed opportunity, Kristen. <laughs> Too bad.
1: That ship has sailed on the huge swamp. So they could only find his footprints. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool.
1: A lot of people feared that Bobby had drowned. Or was he eaten by an alligator? That's exactly the other thing they feared. Oh, yeah. That is exactly... Because, like, this area was teeming with yeah. alligators. Well, That was my immediate
0: thought when you said he disappeared in Louisiana. Yep. I'm like, kid got... Gator. It was either, either a gator or a vampire. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so they... I mean, this is unreal. So they captured a bunch of alligators and they sliced their bellies oh, open, looking, looking... for the remains of a little Yes. Bit. Then they blasted the lake with dynamite, hoping to dislodge his corpse. What? People went nuts over this. The things that they would do in 1912. I know. <laughs> uh, Leslie and Percy Dunbar didn't give up hope, even though so many people were like, sorry for your loss. He's
0: gator food.
1: Yeah. One story I saw said they offered a $6,000 reward for anyone who could find their child. Which, in today's money, I looked it up, (laughs) is about $150,000. Wow. Another story I saw said that the town raised $1,000. Anyway, there was some reward money to be had. Then, eight months after he went missing, they found him. Holy shit. He was in Mississippi. What? Um, Alive? He, yeah. yeah. <gasps> um, he was with this kind of oddball guy named William Walters. William was a traveling handyman who would tune pianos and church organs and he would like stay in people's homes while he did the work, he, you know, kind of traveled around. Yeah. And, you know, everyone was kind of on the lookout for this four year old boy and there William Walters was traveling with a four-year-old boy who matched the description of Bobby Dunbar. Police immediately questioned him and felt certain that they'd found their guy. But William was like, whoa, 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 you've got this all wrong. This is not Bobby Dunbar. This is Charles Anderson, a.k.a. Bruce Anderson. What? He went by Bruce. Bruce is a nickname for Charles?! I I imagine that's like the middle name. Okay. You know? All right. I'm totally making that up. But <laughs> anyway, he went by Bruce. So, Williams like this boy's mom is Julia Anderson. She works for my family as a field hand and she's letting him travel with me. Uh-huh. Police didn't buy it. Yeah. They were like, "No way, dude. There's no way a mother would let her 4-year-old son travel around with some handyman yeah. guy." So they arrested William, and they called the Dunbars. The Dunbars rush to Mississippi. They're so excited. They're hoping and praying that this is their son. They get to Mississippi. They're face-to-face with a little boy. It's not their son. Well, they're not sure. It's been eight months. They're under a lot of stress. They're looking at him. Lessie, in particular, was like, I can't say for certain... That this is Bobby.
0: Then it's not your kid.
1: Don't you think? Wouldn't I, you just know? See, and that's that became part of the national debate. Like, wouldn't you just know? But other people were like, it's been eight months. Kids' faces changed no. so much. No. No. <laughs> no. Nope. Okay, so, get this. I'm going to pause here and say that this was a different age of journalism, where mm-hmm. some people would just make shit up for fun excellent so you just embellished a little bit as well <laughs> no, I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah so I took a page and from that book keeping with the, the time <laughs> I was there and I saw the whole thing no so it's hard to nail down exactly what everyone's reactions were in in rides uh Jane the pig lady on
0: her mule that's and she's right. like I saw it all oh and I lost my moccasin in the swamp that's right <laughs> Take me to
1: court. I'll be on my stretcher. So some newspaper said the little boy recognized... If you didn't
0: sp- understand that reference, please oh, yeah. visit episode... I don't remember what episode that was.
1: Fuck. It was the one about um the Tush Doctor and the Torn Love Letters. Yes. Episode... Something. Seven, maybe. <laughs> so... Some newspaper accounts said that the little boy recognized his mom right away. There was this dramatic, tearful embrace. But most of the newspapers were like, mm. Mm. it was a little more uncertain. Yeah. And um, when I'm trying to find the truth, usually it's the less exciting version. So we're going to go with that. Yeah. The next day, Leslie asked if she could give the boy a bath. Because she knew where all of Bobby's moles and scars should be. Yeah. So during that bath... Everything matched up. What? Yeah, she was thrilled. This was her this boy. This is her boy. Yeah. How did he react to them? Did he say he was their son? So it seems like they both, they all had kind of the same reaction of just like being a little wary of one another. uh uh-huh. And just kind of studying each other. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. But you know when the moles and stars skeptical okay. to
0: say the least. <laughs> okay, I'm uh, smell- <laughs> smelling a little changeling action uh-huh. here.
1: Something smell alligatory. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know you know the story of the changeling?
0: No. Oh, what are you talking about? The the Walter whatever case from you know somewhere in Chicago maybe. <laughs>
1: I got nothing. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: they it's... made a movie about it. It starred Angelina Jolie. Oh, it was the Chicken Coop Murders is the basis of that story. You don't know that either. Oh, no. Well, for
1: fuck's sake, I guess maybe that's why you... I know what I'm doing yeah, next maybe you week. You do that next week, please. Jesus. <laughs> so police had found Bobby Dunbar. Yeah. Hmm.
0: I am. I'm going to reserve my
1: jubilation. Uh-huh. Because okay. I don't feel like, because then your episode's over and the end. Well, the people of Louisiana didn't reserve their jubilation because they, <laughs> <him a> <laughs> they, they threw him a parade. They threw him a parade? Yes, they were so excited mm. because everyone mm-hmm. thought he was dead, but then They've he was They've clearly found.
0: never seen the changeling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Story Angelina Jolie. And John Malkovich. (laughs) I would swear you used to work in a blockbuster or something, the way you know movies. So they brought him through town on a fire truck. There was a band. Everyone was overjoyed. Big happy day. Mm. Everyone was thrilled. Except Mm -hmm. Julia Anderson. Mm -hmm. Julia was the woman who Walter Williams said was the boy's mother. Yeah. So she comes forward and she's like, what are you people talking about? What are you doing? That's my kid. (gasps) So she's claiming it's her kid. Yes. She says that that story is true. (gasps) See? Reserve that jubilation. (laughs) I fucking knew it. So she said... And by the way, I didn't tell Walter Williams that he could take my son for as long as he wanted. I told him he could take Bruce for a two-day trip. That was it. So the media was like, Plot twist. They were so excited. Yeah. A New Orleans paper actually paid for Julia to come down and identify the boy. They were like, all right, prove it. He's yours. We're gonna put you give you like a little kitty lineup here. Mm-hmm. So police set Julia up with five boys who were all around the age of her son. And, of course, you know, they they gave her individual time with each of them. Yeah. And they brought the boy in, who everyone was saying was Bobby Dunbar. The boy didn't say anything. He didn't light up. He didn't hug her or say, hi, mom. You know, he had Mm -hmm. no reaction to her. She studied him for a long time, and then she turned to the police and she said, Is this the boy? And the police didn't say anything. They're like, that's not how this works. What the fuck is happening that people don't recognize their kid? (laughs) So she said, I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't say for certain that this is my son.
0: I do not understand this one
1: bit. Yeah. By that point, she had not seen him for like 15 months, as I understand it. Hmm. (laughs) So the next day, she was allowed to see him again. And this time she saw him without clothes. And she was like, I'm okay. I'm pretty sure this is Bruce. I'm pretty sure this is my kid. But it was too late. Uh, Word had already gotten out that she hadn't recognized him for certain the day before. And unlike Lessie and Percy, who didn't recognize their son right away, people attacked Julia. Mm -hmm. Information came out about her past, that she'd had three children, all out of wedlock, and she couldn't even recognize this kid who was supposed to be her own. She was scum. She was lower than dirt. Julia was devastated because earlier that year, one of her children had died. And the other one, she did recognize that one. Whoa, boy.
0: <laughs> I am so, I, I do not understand not being able to recognize someone that you think is your own kid.
1: You think you'd be able to spot your child?
0: Well, speaking of someone who doesn't have any fucking uh-huh. children,
1: <laughs> I could See, spot my dog, I'll tell
0: you that, but... <laughs> You put five bulldogs in a lineup, and I will 100% pick out my own bulldog. After a bath or, like, just right away? Right away. Okay. Yep.
1: So, earlier that year, one of her children... I don't
0: even need to see him naked.
1: (laughs) Put him in a dog sweater. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. (laughs) I mean, you'd want to see him naked, but... (laughs) Okay, pause for an inappropriate dog story. Oh, God, I'm so excited. This is so bad. I I don't know if I've told you this before. When Norman and I were first dating, Mm -hmm. he was over at my apartment one day, Mm -hmm. and he was rubbing Peanut on her belly, you know, because she loves belly rubs. Yeah. And just naturally, for whatever reason, Peanut doesn't have a lot of hair on, like... (laughs) her crotch area common in
0: short haired dogs okay. only long haired dogs have hair in their crotch regions oh I
1: didn't know that Okay,
0: it's my experience
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I look at a lot of dog <laughs> I crotches I look at a lot of dog crotches <laughs> so Norm turns to me and he says why doesn't Peanut have any hair here <laughs> and I thought it was such a strange question <laughs> in kind of an accusatory yes. tone so I decided to lean into it. And I said, I don't know, I just like the way it looks. <laughs> the
0: look on his
1: face!
0: I prefer all of my
1: dog crouches shaved. Yeah, I just... It's part of the grooming process for me. Anyway, he was horrified. Yes.
0: My dog also... He's short-haired. He is short no, haired. He doesn't have hair on his crotch. Either. Because you
1: shave it once a week, right? That's right. right. Yep. Okay. So <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> this is disgusting. This is taking
0: a weird turn. <laughs> anyway, back to this child. Oh, yeah. This is fucking missing kids. Nobody knows what kids theirs. Kristen, I am just. Upset with this tale you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you get some better parents in your story? <laughs> Sorry, this is what we got.
1: So, like I said earlier that year, one of Julia's children had died. The other one she'd had to place for adoption. Bruce was all she had left. And now he was gone. And she believed the Dunbars had taken him. She didn't have a lot of options, she had no money. She couldn't sue. She couldn't use DNA testing because it was freaking 1913. (laughs) So she went back to North Carolina childless. Oh, my gosh. The media pitted the two mothers against one another. They painted Leslie as the pretty, well-off, sophisticated woman, and Julia as a hick with no morals. Wow. They implied that Julia was a prostitute and said she was illiterate. Neither of which was true. Wow. Okay, so this morning I was kind of going through my notes for this. And I realized that I only specified that the illiteracy was wrong. (laughs) Because I think it made me so mad. Because I was like, no, she was an avid reader. And then I realized, most people would probably be more offended by this notion that she was a prostitute. (laughs) But I love to read, so That's I was right. worried about that one. Yes. <laughs> so I'm gonna read to you from two different newspaper articles because I think it says so much about how the press treated yeah. her. The Dunbar child had every advantage, toy and pleasure known. The illegitimate Anderson child had nothing except perhaps a stick for a toy. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> you know. Hmm. Dorothy only had a stick and she did just fine. She turned out great. Dorothy on the golden girls. Oh, she, her favorite toy as a child was a stick named scout.
1: Really? You Go- remember this. I need to watch some more golden girls. I thought I had all the episodes memorized. <laughs> Evidently not. Sophia took it away and gave it to her sister, Gloria. That's not okay. No, Dorothy was pissed about it. <laughs> I've got another one and this one's worse. Oh no. Worse than the stick. Wait for it. This is, this is unbelievable. Another article was written right after Julia said she didn't recognize Bruce. So maybe you'll be on this uh, Probably. reporter's side. Mm-hmm. Terrible mother. Uh-huh. It said, animals don't forget. But this big, coarse country woman, several times a mother, she forgot. Big, coarse country woman? <laughs> she cared little for her young. Children were only regrettable incidents in her life. She hopes her son isn't dead just as she hopes the cotton crop will be good this year.
0: Wow. Okay, I don't agree with that reporter. That's fucking terrible. I do agree that animals recognize their own fucking children, so what's wrong with these two human people that couldn't recognize their child? Human people, that's right.
1: And I would say three people, even though everyone always says... It's the two mothers? Yeah. Yeah, The father wasn't... Yeah.
0: Yeah, what was his name? uh percy percy yeah and there's
1: where's the fucking write-up
0: about how percy you know was a big country man yeah many a father well no okay is Percy's yes, leslie is percy yes yes i got it okay i was being dramatic kristen okay. i did not misunderstand it what you said flew
1: way over my <laughs> head <laughs> but whoever was bruce's father Wasn't coming forward. Yeah. Um. Some people said that William Walter might have been the father, or that like maybe one of William Walter's brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So how's my ponytail? It's a skew, man. I mean, how's it now? Is it better? Better. Okay. The two of us. (laughs) We didn't bring our eggs. The good thing
0: that this is not a video.
1: (laughs) show People will be like, "Oh, Oh, look away." Look at those coarse country women. (laughs) Surely they've been several times a mother. Several times a mother. Several
0: times a mother. Man, that is a weird insult.
1: (laughs) It is, but like, it's funny because... You know exactly what it means. Oh yeah, we we get it. Yeah. We totally get it. So Julia didn't have the money to sue the Dunbars, but she did have a ray of hope. Mm Mm-hmm. William Walters was about to go on trial for kidnapping. Mm. So this was her shot. If she could get a jury to believe that the boy was her son and that William hadn't kidnapped him, then surely she'd get him back. Yeah. The trial took place in Louisiana, and the vast majority of people seemed to believe that William Walters was guilty. Why did I write seem to believe? They believed. (laughs) They for sure believed. A huge crowd attended really? this two-week trial. Um, this I love these old-timey ones. Yeah. Because this was like the only entertainment, and it was the best entertainment. Yeah. People wrote songs about it. What? Yep. They sold souvenirs to commemorate the trial. They cut up a crab apple tree and take slabs. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, go listen to that old episode. It's a good one. No, so the souvenirs were postcards. And... um. At the bottom of the postcard, it said, famous kidnapping trial. And then there was this picture of William Walters with his big handlebar mustache. (laughs) And then below him is this like oval picture of Bobby Dunbar. So this cute little boy. What's wrong? I don't see anybody. Okay. (laughs) Do
0: you see somebody? No. I thought I saw something move over there, though just on edge because I can't get through an episode that somebody coming to your
1: fucking door yeah, I know <laughs> I should have a clown come to the door oh
0: I would die I would literally die right here it'd be the end of the podcast oh well
1: okay I can't do that
0: <laughs> so I would never come to your house
1: <laughs> well obviously you're dead yeah Hey, maybe I'd go to prison for it. I would haunt. Maybe they'd your be house. like, "You should have known." Yeah. Yes. There is a casual link to <laughs> <laughs> And even then, you died of shock. Sperry's boat shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he had the full face. Yeah, full which is face. Really yeah, which is you know alarms what, you. Um,
0: and his sperrys were like you know oversized. <laughs>
1: He'd painted them red. So people were super excited about this trial. Um, when the prosecution made a good point, the crowd they got, like, cheered. Big foam fingers. The they might as well have. <laughs> seriously anytime the prosecution made a good point they would cheer that is nuts yes now why do you think that's nuts
0: um because that's not the behavior that's supposed to go on in a uh-huh. and i think that the jury would be easily swayed by that
1: ding 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 ding, <laughs> ding. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah it's definitely
1: biasing the jury the way i view it is like if you were supposed to make a decision at the price is right. Yeah. You know, you've got the whole audience shouting yes. answers at you. You're not thinking for yourself. Yeah. You're not trusting your own judgment. No. Anyway, nonetheless, William Walters had a pretty good defense because the people of Poplarville, Mississippi, where he'd been caught, yeah. felt pretty strongly that he wasn't traveling with Bobby Dunbar. Yeah. The reason they felt that way was because 14 people testified at trial that they saw William with the little boy before Bobby Dunbar Mm -hmm. went missing. I was going to
0: ask that. How long had Mm -hmm. whatever this kid's name been with him? Bruce. Charles. Charles Charles, Bruce.
1: A.K.A. Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) So they were like, this little boy is Bruce. It's not Bobby. Yeah. The defense also called six people who knew the Dunbars. And those people said, this isn't Bobby. We remember what Bobby looked like. See? This
0: him. Other people remember what fucking Bobby looks like. Why don't his parents? Fair question. I will say, though, mm-hmm. your child is missing. It's been eight months. You've You're have started getting sympathetic? You started to give up hope uh-huh. that your child's alive. And then you hear, we've found your child. I... S- think that I understand like trying to make yourself believe that it's your child or questioning if you see a kid and you're like I don't think it's my kid but there'd be something inside that would make you want to believe it was yeah. your kid
1: yeah sure alright fine I see that point do you feel the same way about Julia like she says her son is missing
0: um no
1: because I think it's Julia's kid. okay
0: <laughs> I don't think it's Bobby Dunbar okay. I think it's Bruce okay <laughs> We shall see.
1: (laughs) Julia gave her testimony, and I saw somewhere, and I swear, that she was not feeling well, so she gave her testimony on a stretcher. What the fuck? Apparently, this was a thing. Again, go back to that old episode. Yeah. Um, Someone gives testimony on a stretcher. Wow. Yeah. So she, of course, said she let Bruce go on this trip with William. There was no kidnapping. Meanwhile... The prosecution put forth their theory that William had kidnapped Bobby and Bruce. What? And that Bruce had died along the journey. And then he got a replacement kid?
0: Picked no, up. No, that Bobby? they were
1: they were there together. Oh. Did don't anybody be silly. ever see him
0: with two kids?
1: I don't know. I don't know if they had anyone to corroborate that. Okay. So the jury deliberated and they found William guilty. What? Of kidnapping. Hmm. I disagree he was sentenced to life in prison wow yeah so that meant that in effect you know that was Bobby Dunbar cause he was in trouble for kidnapping and he had kidnapped Bobby Dunbar so Bobby Dunbar was Bobby Dunbar Mm-mm, I'm not buying it <laughs> he's not Bobby Dunbar he's
0: Bruce Ben Bruce the whole time <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, the look on your face. <laughs> so, after William had been in prison for two years, he appealed mm-hmm. for several reasons, yeah. including what you predicted, which was like, um, this is not an environment for a jury to make an unbiased yeah! decision. Yeah. But also for the judge giving improper instructions to the jury, William was granted a new trial. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What do you think happened? Uh, he probably got found guilty again. No. Interestingly, you know, his defense is ready to go. Yeah. They're ready to fight this thing. Um, they kind of felt like, maybe we can get a fair shake this time. If we're yeah. in an environment where people aren't hooping and hollering, yeah. you know, we can do this. But the prosecutor's office was like, no thanks. That first trial was super expensive. They dropped the charges? They just let him go. But that... Then
0: who's the kid? Bobby Dunbar. It was decided. He's not Bobby Dunbar,
1: Kristen. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Um, so that was that. You know, it's Bobby Dunbar. He grew up, raised by Lassie and Percy, um, later shared some memories of the kidnapping. He And he remembered these things vividly, that William beat him, dyed his hair to disguise him, and forbid him from ever revealing his name to the people they encountered. Here's the other thing. Okay, explain your face right now. You look like you just bit into a lemon. (laughs) I think he's making it up. Why?
0: Because he's not Bobby fucking Dunbar! Yeah,
1: but why would he make it up, though? To sell it. To who? His parents. Everybody. His parents parents already believed it. Everybody already believed it. Mm. Mm. I'm not buying it. Okay. The other thing he said that you will not buy, he said he remembered the other little boy. No, he didn't. He didn't mention Bruce by name, but he said he remembered another boy being with them on their journey. And he remembered that boy dying. False memories. Okay. So the whole thing was horribly traumatic. Bobby didn't like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Eventually he grew up, got married, had four children. His wife kept a scrapbook tucked away with all the articles. Okay, you are like squinting
0: <laughs> at me. You are giving me the meanest look. <laughs> I think this case is bullshit. <laughs> So Bobby Dunbar got fucking eaten by alligators, and then they took away this poor lady's kid. He's Bruce.
1: If you insist. <laughs> so she kept all the articles about the kidnapping. And these stories got told enough that it became part of the Dunbar family legend that, you know oh, Grandpa was taken away by these people and they got him back. And oh, my gosh, it's this crazy story. Mm -hmm. No one in the family was more fascinated by this story than Bobby's granddaughter, Margaret. So in 1999, nearly 100 years after this all went down and Bobby had died, Mm -hmm. Margaret Dunbar Cartwright received a scrapbook from her father. And it was the one the grandmother had made. Mm -hmm. It contained more than 400 articles about the kidnapping. Mm-hmm. They were all out of order. But her dad was like, hey, this will be a good project for you. And it was. Yeah. Because Margaret's kids were almost grown. Her husband worked out of state. She needed a hobby. So this was like she's the ultimate piece hobby. piece it
0: together, and she's going to find out that they're not the Dunbars. They're the fucking whatever- Cartwrights, Cart, the no Cartwright. Anderson. The Anderson, Anderson. Anderson. <laughs> yeah, they're shit. the
1: Andersons. Who knows what they'll figure out? So she read all the articles. I know. <laughs> <laughs> she read all the articles and she was stunned. All of a sudden, she's reading details she'd never read before.
0: Yeah, because she it's nev- not been passed on in the family that there no. was probably this big. Who is he really? Is he really Bobby Dunbar? It's just been passed down that it was Bobby Dunbar. Uh huh. And now she's reading these and she's like, it's not fucking Bobby Dunbar.
1: We're not the Dunbars at all. No, that's not what she thought. Hmm. Um, She was stunned by some of the details she read. Like she had no idea that her great grandparents didn't initially recognize him. Mm -hmm. She was like, what terrible fucking parents they are. She kept reading. She came across Julia Anderson's account. And Margaret was heartbroken for Julia. Yeah. Because she got her kid taken away. No. <laughs> Margaret was heartbroken <laughs> because she believed that Julia had lost a son. Uh-huh. She did not believe that, that Bobby her...
0: Dunbar was really. No.
1: Broken. No. She didn't. She thought that was mm. that was nuts. Mm. But she felt sorry for Julia because she thought. This seems like a truthful account, mm-hmm. and it's a truthful account from a woman who lost her child. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. My great-grandmother could relate to that. hmm <laughs> Over time, Margaret expanded her research beyond the scrapbook, and she found a Julia Anderson on a genealogy website. And the entry said that Julia had had a child, Bruce, who had been kidnapped. By people who took him to Louisiana, renamed him Bobby Dunbar, and raised him as their own. Mm-hmm. And Margaret was like, what the fuck? This, how they, this information's incorrect. Yes. Yeah. She was like, that's not true. Yep. That is not true at all. Yep. Or is it? <laughs> so in 2000, she decided, you know what? I'm going to go meet with this woman's descendants. Mm-hmm. I'm in this. So she tracked down Julia's two living children, Hollis and Jules, and she also tracked down Jules' daughter, Linda. She also met with William Walter's descendants, and that's when she started to get a fuller picture of this story. Mm -hmm. So it's like she's going to the upside-down world where... You know, in her family, the legend is grandpa got kidnapped by these people and, thank God, reunited with his parents. But these people think just the opposite. They think she's part of this. Yeah, this family that kidnapped their kid and raised him as their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She starts learning all about the other people in in, in this incident. She learned that William had proclaimed his innocence until the day he died. She learned that after the trial, Julia didn't have the money to go back home to North Carolina. But the people of Poplarville, Mississippi, who testified at Williams' trial, took her under their wing. And they took her back to Poplarville with them. She started a new life there. She got married and had seven children. She became very religious and founded a church. She started a career as a nurse. Wow. Yeah, so she... I mean, she, she made stuff happen for herself. Yeah. Margaret found out from Julia's children that she was a happy person, but she never forgot about Bruce. And the entire Anderson family always referred to the Dunbar's... Oh, whoa. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> and the entire Anderson family always referred to the Dunbar's as kidnappers. Mm-hmm. Because they are. <laughs> Un- I believe they might be
0: unintentional kidnappers. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't think they intentionally took somebody's kid, but it's not their fucking kid. It's not Bobby Dunbar. It's fucking Bruce Anderson.
1: But he had all the moles and scars. Mm, did he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so she also learned some more about how her grandfather must not have viewed the kidnapping as totally black and white mm-hmm. either. Julia's son, Hollis told her, told her that one day he was at work when a man came up to him and started making small talk. And finally the man introduced himself as Bobby Dunbar. Hollis was so stunned that he didn't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. He got called out to do some more work and he came back they talked some more but again Hollis was so stunned that he just sort of froze. He'd been waiting for this moment his entire life Yeah, but by the time it happened he was too shocked to say anything. He he wasn't prepared. Mm -hmm. His sister Jules had a sort of similar story. A man came into the service station where she worked. He ordered a coffee. They talked for like an hour. He never gave his name. But afterwards, she always thought, that was my brother. Oh, my gosh. So at this point, Margaret's head is kind of spinning, and she's like, "Uh, no way. But she checked with her family, and sure enough, her aunts and uncles were like, yeah, one time we traveled through Mississippi. And Dad said something like, these are the people they took me from, and he stopped. So at some point, he did stop and talk to somebody in Mississippi. In, like, the 40s, they think. Oh, my gosh. More information comes out. Because the logical question to the Anderson family is, okay, you guys talked about Bruce all the time. You knew in your hearts that he'd been taken by the Dunbars. Did you guys ever visit him? Mm -hmm. Did you guys ever do anything, say anything? And Hollis and Jules, you know, they're... Their initial reaction to that question was, well, we didn't really have the money to travel. But then I think they got more to the real answer a little while later in this interview because they said, we were afraid of the Dunbars. They had legally taken our family member. Yeah. And they were rich and we weren't. Mm -hmm. And we thought, you know, if they could get away with doing that, what else could they do? Yeah. So Margaret was a bit overwhelmed mm-hmm. just because their view was so counter to everything that she knew in her heart. Yeah, um, But she struck up something of a friendship with Linda, Julia's granddaughter, and the two of them became sort of research partners, mm-hmm. just coming at this from two totally different angles. Both yeah. of them were certain they were right. Yeah, For a while, that was fine. But then they butted heads. And things took a really bad turn when Margaret presented some of her research in Columbia, Mississippi. Hollis and Jules were there, and in Margaret's presentation, she referred to Bruce as the illegitimate child of a domestic who worked the fields with bare, dirty feet. What? Hollis and Jules were fuming. They were like, first of all, that's our mother you're Mm -hmm. talking about. And secondly, whether you want to face it or not, that's your biological great-grandmother. So you can just sit down. Wow. They didn't say that. But they went back to Linda and they were like, here's what just happened. Oh, my gosh. So Linda said, I'm going to confront her. She wrote to her, the very woman you maligned at that meeting could very well be your great-grandmother. And essentially, she said, you're looking really hard at Julia. Why don't you turn it around and look at Leslie and Percy? Mm-hmm. How about you take all that judgment you've got and put it on them and see how well they stand up to this scrutiny? Yeah. Margaret was pretty angry, but she took Linda's advice. She found William Walter's defense attorney's granddaughter. And incredibly, this woman happened to have the whole defense file tucked away. Wow, It was over 900 pages. Holy shit. So Margaret made copies of it. And as she was sifting through the documents, she came across this anonymous letter that had been written to the lawyer. It was just signed from a Christian woman. And it outlined all the reasons this woman thought that Bobby Dunbar was really Bruce. And it was so well-reasoned that Margaret was like, Oh my God, she's right. Yeah, he's fucking Bruce. Told you since the beginning. Yep. She's like, finally, okay, Brandy, get off my back. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just, I mean, this is this is shocking to yeah. her. Yeah. But the woman put listened to all these reasons, including the Dunbars, why aren't they releasing photos of this child to display right next to another photo mm-hmm. from before the kidnapping to show that it's clearly the same one. Right. Which, in one of the newspapers I saw, there were two photos next to each other. Um, but, at any rate, they Did were Didn't they look alike? Yeah, enough. All right. Yeah. All right. The thing that's hard to me is I feel like little kids look like little kids. Yeah, yeah, like shapeless blobs, like they're yeah. they're still forming. And t- to me, that's why I can believe that maybe after a certain period of time, you would have trouble recognizing your child. Again, I don't have kids, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. But but neither do you and you're really confident. <laughs> so she looks deeper into her grandparents too. So I'm sure she knew some parts of this story. Yeah. But she uncovered their divorce papers, which shed a lot more light on their relationship. Uh Turns out, Lessie and Percy separated five years after the kidnapping trial. Wow. When Bobby and Alonzo were children, Lessie left all of them and moved to New Orleans. Wow. She claimed, yeah, she claimed that Percy beat her and cheated on her. Then Margaret uncovered a document that said that Percy beat and stabbed a man in 1920. What? Your reaction is the same as hers. She all of a sudden, you know, now that she's... Grandpappy (laughs) Percy? Now that she's turned this critical eye on the two of them, she's like, who was this great-grandfather? And like, what did, what did Lessie have on her conscience... So you're probably thinking DNA. Yeah. You could solve this mystery right here, right now with a DNA test. Yes. Let's do it. Not so easy. Margaret didn't want to do it until she had the blessings of all of her aunts and uncles. And by the way, she didn't. (gasps) One of her uncles said, no matter how it turns out, there's going to be a sense of loss. What is truly to be gained? I have to ask that. The truth? What if you don't want to face the truth? What are you going to sure. do with the truth? I don't know. Yeah. Right. I get that. Yeah. Like, so, so who I am, who I think I am, has always been a lie. No. Yeah. And by the way, these people are all, like, in their 60s, 70s, yeah. like... I get that. Yeah. I
0: think it's wrong, but... <laughs>
1: No judgment or anything, but Brandy just says you're totally wrong. (laughs) After a few years of research, the family was being interviewed by a reporter from the Associated Press. Mm -hmm. And the reporter brought it up with Margaret's dad. He was like, would you ever do a DNA test? And Margaret's dad, Bob Dunbar Jr., said yes. Because he knew his dad was Bobby Dunbar, and he wanted to prove it once and for all. He's Bruce. So here's how they did it. Leslie and Percy had two sons, Bobby and Alonzo. Obviously, no one doubted that Alonzo was Alonzo. So they took DNA from Alonzo's son and they compared the DNA to Bob's DNA.
0: It wasn't similar.
1: It was. What? No, it wasn't. I just. (laughs) I just wanted to see your face <laughs> so the dunbars were shocked and really angry i've been telling them this whole time <laughs> yeah do they not listen to the podcast <laughs> bob in particular couldn't believe it things got really messy in their family because the plan had been that they'd reveal the dna results to everyone all at once yeah but that's not how it happened and i don't think everyone knew that the, that DNA, the dna test tested. was happening yes And on top of that, when Margaret called the lab tech to see if the results were ready, the lab tech just blurted it (gasps) out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Margaret was like, I think she thought it was just like a paternity test. Yeah. Like something more casual or causal. Causal?
0: (laughs) Definitely something more causal.
1: (laughs) And on top of that, they had this reporter who was about to run a story on the whole thing. The Dunbars were very upset and angry with Margaret. They seemed to think that this was selfish on her part. And I didn't see this mentioned in any of the things that I saw or listened to, but she was working on a book about all this. Uh So I wonder if that was part of it. They felt like this is part of her agenda somehow. Yeah. So they were upset, but the Andersons and the descendants of William Walter were thrilled. First of all, William Walter's people were like, Yay. Vindication. He yeah, he yeah. wasn't a criminal. He wasn't a kidnapper. He was. Yeah. He was just a good guy. Like everybody, leave yeah. him alone. And the Andersons finally had confirmation of what they'd always known. And Brandy had already. Known. Yeah, I already knew it. Did they do a DNA test? I don't think so. Hmm. I think people kind of were like, "Well." <laughs> well. <laughs> Hollis and Jules handled it. I think beautifully. They were like. All we want from them is friendship, and we're sorry that they're unhappy about this. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing way to handle it. Yeah. And Hollis even said, "I, you know, I don't want to put Bobby down, and I don't want to put down my mother. She did the best with what she had. But he got off the wagon to get into a car.
0: Oh, yeah. Which he had a much better upbringing than he would have.
1: Yeah. And that was one of the things that was mentioned in one of the articles was that, like, by the time Julia goes to see him, you know, again, I think it was to the point where, when he was raised by her, I mean, they were just scraping to get by. Yeah, life was really hard. But when he became a Dunbar, he had a pony. Hmm. I mean, and he had everything a little kid could want. Yeah. So Bob thought it over quite a bit. You know, he'd done the DNA test just to prove that his dad was really a Dunbar, and it didn't work out didn't that work way. Work out and he actually walked away with a new appreciation of his dad. He said, I feel like my daddy could have had all the excuses in the world to be a drunk, a child abuser, or anything, a rascal. He had a terrible, traumatic young life, but he chose my mother, and he chose to be a family man, and that was his world. That was his life. I realized that I grew up in a charmed environment. Everybody can't say that. Daddy can't say that. But he made that environment for us. What? I have a real problem with the fact that he's calling him daddy. (laughs) Oh, they're southern. They're southern. I thought that was such a beautiful quote. Uh, It is a beautiful quote. (laughs) Daddy. Ew. No, it's so weird. Are you you putting some weird sexual spin on it? No, I just, not even, it's not a sexual thing. I think it's super creepy. You want to know? I'm just going to gloss over that. Um, something interesting is that Bobby, Bob, the son, yeah, moved to Kinston, North Carolina, mm-hmm. which was like a hundred miles away from where Bruce wow. was born. Well, that's crazy! Isn't that kind of yeah? He was called there. That's okay. Now you know how I get. Like I kind of feel yeah. like maybe yeah. on some level yeah. So what happened to the real Bobby?
0: He got eaten by fucking alligators, Kristen. That's
1: exactly what Margaret thinks. Yeah, Yep, Margaret thinks that he um, went onto this little dock or bridge Uh thing, fell over, and was eaten by an alligator. Yeah. So that's the story of Bobby Dunbar. That's crazy. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. Now, I do have to give a quick shout-out. The only reason I knew about this was because of a this American life episode. Uh-huh. It was so good. It's called The Ghost of Bobby Dunbar. Uh-huh. It's amazing. I didn't give it a shout out in the beginning because I was afraid that that would trigger people's memories oh, to that yeah, awesome yeah. episode and they'd be like, "Oh, I know this story." Well,
0: I ruined it for them anyway cuz I called it from the beginning.
1: Oh, you were so
0: brilliant the whole time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a it's a really really good episode yeah. and I pulled a seen lot from it. this American life. It. It's a podcast. Oh. It's on never, NPR. I've never heard this American life. <laughs> it's so good. It's really, really good.
0: <laughs> I'll have to listen to it.
1: Yeah. That was yeah. a really great story. I I love that story. I yeah. man, I feel bad for everyone involved. So you totally called it with the um with the memories he'd kind of invented in his head. Yeah. I totally believe that. You know, it's like with anything from your childhood. You're fed you get a story about so your, many yeah, things.
0: that you, those, you're told what happened to you. You're told, you know, that these things happen and you just create, your brain just creates memories of that. Yeah. You don't know what you didn't, how could you know? You could have memories of something as a child, or you could think you have a memory of a, something as a child, but it's not your actual memory. It's just that you've been told that mm-hmm. so many times. Yeah. Oh, my God, we're really inside the Matrix. And we never had childhoods at all.
1: Hmm. It's
0: all been created for us.
1: People could have created more exciting stories for us, though. I mean, like, that guy got the, oh, you were on a wagon with this other kid and this piano tuner, and one kid died. And we got, like, you grew up in suburban Kansas City. We had a...
0: Pretty good time, me uh, and Spice Girl impersonators, Christian. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> These were good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't ever want to be this sleep deprived and messed up no. for a podcast again. Never. We, we promise to do better. Uh, yes, we, are, we will be better. <laughs> <laughs> what else was I going to tell you? I felt like there was some other story. Oh, oh, okay. Another reason I'm so glad we are doing this podcast together. Yes. So, like we've already said, we are recording these ahead of time. Um, but in our real time right now, the Golden State Killer oh was my just captured. gosh And this morning when I woke up, like I could not help myself. I just had to do a deep dive into everything this guy had ever done. Yeah. I'm reading, reading, reading. Like, holy hell. Because I didn't realize how many times he would call the victims. And like one one woman, he said, Merry Christmas. Yeah. And he'd say, I'm going to do it again. I mean, just, I could not get past it. And so then Norman comes down the stairs. He's sitting next to me, you know, we're both sitting around talking. And I was like, man, do you know what the Golden State Killer did to people? And he goes, I don't want to hear it. And I was just like, oh, okay, well, that's a, on the one hand, that's a totally normal, normal reaction. Normal response, yes. Um, yeah, but I don't But not want, at all satisfying. No, no, but it was just funny to me because I was like, I said, well, the good news is Brandy's coming over in like two hours, so I'm going to be fine. But, like, I was just so, I felt like I just hit a brick wall. Yeah. Oh, um, you're not some weirdo who wants to, Wake up on a Sunday morning and discuss what a serial killer did? Right. You'd rather not talk about that? Weird. What a weird thing. I know.
0: I am listening to I'll Be Gone in the Dark right now. Are you really? Yes. How is it? It's so good and also disturbing. But I feel like it's less disturbing now. Like I couldn't, I didn't read it before. But now that he's in custody, it's easier, I think, to listen to the creepy fucking shit that well, he
1: yeah, did. Well, yeah, yeah, because you know
0: yeah. justice gets served. Although, BTK was already in jail when I read his book and that scared the shit out of me, so I imagine I'll be having some Golden State Killer
1: nightmares soon. I wish you had a landline so I could just call. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and just say,
0: remember when we used uh, to play? Yes! that would be horrifying
1: how would you ever live a normal life I that have.
0: One? I can't even I have no idea
1: me neither I, f- I feel like there would be no chance
0: yeah he
1: has a daughter that's our age ew our his, age
0: yeah his daughter was born in 1986
1: how old was he pretty damn old right he's well I guess not super old no 40. never mind he's 72
0: now he would have been 40 when she was born
1: You know what? You know what it is? This goes back to me not realizing how old I actually am. And in turn, if I don't know how old I am, I can't know how old my parents are. Because in my mind, obviously, my parents are in their 40s, and that's not true at all. Okay, so the math adds up. Yes, the math does add up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah doesn't that make you wonder what that home life was like? Or was he just like, uh, what they always say those people are like, where they like turn it off on some level. when they oh, get I out. know.
0: Yeah. No idea. It what does make you wonder. What is going
1: on with your shoulders right I now? I feel
0: like my sweatshirt's doing something weird. I was trying to, like you're doing the weird thing. <laughs> I'm trying to like inch it back up. <laughs> I was hoping you hadn't
1: noticed. <laughs> I was politely averting my eyes. But, after a certain point, you just... Can't. It looked like you were doing some weird, like, dance move you'd do when you're in a car where you can't move your legs.
0: i uh, It was like, it, that's my seduction move, Kristen. I was testing it out on
1: you. Consider me not seduced. <laughs> Try harder next time. All right, noted. Maybe put this down in my notes. involve your arms somehow. <laughs> but yeah, I...
0: Well, that's like (sighs) BTK. Yeah. He, his children said they had a very normal childhood.
1: That is so weird.
0: It is fucking weird. What would you do? If what? If you found out your dad was a secret serial killer.
1: Oh, my God. I don't even know. I don't know either. First of all, I wouldn't believe it. Yeah. And then... You know, I, I think that's the crazy thing is like, then you, you hear the DNA stuff and you go, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do.
0: Just for the record, this is not an insinuation, Daryl, that we think you are in any way a secret serial killer. It was just a, you know, hypothetical question about a hypothetical father.
1: <laughs> Very good. Tim, <laughs> we do think you're a serial killer. <laughs> sorry dad (laughs) no I can't imagine and the other thing I was thinking today was like thinking about being one of his victims what would I do and I was thinking well okay I would get as much stuff as I could and I would just leave and it's like well then you leave your family behind Mm -hmm. um, and maybe he goes after them I, I don't know I don't know what you do
0: I don't either I have no idea.
1: Just be terrified all the time. What do you think?
0: So the thing that he did, did, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, when he came, he would break into houses where a couple was. Yes. And he would tie up the man and then put dishes on him. Yes. And say, if you move, if I hear the dishes fall, I'll kill you. How do you think you and Norman would react to that if that happened?
1: Um... I think I would be ordering Norman not to move.
0: Yeah, I think I would do the exact same thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And I would, as I was being attacked, I would try not to make too much noise because obviously then, then that would be like even more torturous for yep. Norman. Ugh. But at the same time, I was thinking of this today too mm-hmm. because I've always wondered, especially now that we're doing these cases, like, mm-hmm. you you never know you never know the right way to play it yeah um because if if you're thinking okay well if he's going to rape me and that's mm-hmm. it then i just need to go along with it and survive yeah um if he's going to rape me and kill me then okay i need to fight back but yeah. you never you know you don't know but then i started thinking about it a lot today and i thought you know So many rapes are, like, people you know, they're not strangers jump out of the bushes or break into your houses. And so I started thinking, okay, maybe if I am ever, God forbid, in that position, I would just assume he's going to try to murder me. I need to fight back. Yeah. But who knows? Who
0: knows? There's no way to know how you would react in the situation. No. There's just not.
1: Well, it's much more comforting to think I would survive the hell out of that. And yeah. It'd be just
0: fine. I'd be just fine. Yeah, because I'm a survivor. Oh, I'm a- my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Can we end
1: on an upper here? What do you got for me? Oh, God. Well, I was just thinking. <laughs> this is not an upper at all. But I had this friend back in the day who... We were talking about this kind of dark shit. Yeah. And she... She was just like... She said, I'd just kick him in the nuts. I yeah, i just beat him up. I don't think that's the answer. I just... <laughs> I, don't I think it's that simple. I remember being so angry with that. Yeah. When I first heard it. Because yeah. I was thinking, oh. Oh, um, is that all you have to do? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh. So in a way, it's really people's faults when they get raped yeah why they just kick, just him, in just kick him in the nuts duh uh, anyway i don't know why i thought that that would be an upper um no, thanks for that but no but then i i think later as i got a little more mature <laughs> please don't say it like that
0: i, I hate, hate when that. people
1: say that i hate that too <laughs> no i started to realize that maybe we all tell ourselves things yeah like oh, why don't they do this thing that I'm capable of doing? Yes, exactly. That would save everyone. Yeah.
0: Well, like the whole um, never go to a second location. Mm-hmm. Like that's all well and good, but...
1: You don't really have a choice. How do you have a choice? Yeah. yeah. Never go to a second location. Don't get raped and don't get murdered. That's murdered. right. That's all you have to that's do. That's our advice to, yeah. to everyone. Yep. <laughs> Follow it and you'll be fine. You'll just you'll be just fine. That's correct. Okay, I'm sorry. That was a downer.
0: It's the worst upper I've ever oh, heard, God. Kristen.
1: Do you have anything? I have nothing.
0: I'm like Whitney Houston.
1: I already made fun of myself before you came over because I've been so stressed and so busy that now I'm down to the bottom of my underwear drawer. <laughs> I'm down to the underwear that's too small. <laughs> Cutting off circulation, (laughs) making life difficult for me. (laughs) I don't have 100% control over my brain anymore because I'm wearing (laughs) underwear from like seven years ago. (laughs) Should I not keep it that long?
0: I mean, I thought you did the whole uh, does this bring me joy clean out thing. You kept that seven year old underwear? It's
1: really nice underwear. (laughs) That's the problem. Like, it's high quality underwear. But I did do a big clean out, but yeah. it was mostly like just, you know, the stuff I got rid of was like old shirts from TJ Maxx, mm, you not know, seven year old underwear. Nope. Who's Daryl Pitts now? <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. You are father. your father's daughter. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I love you, dad. <laughs> please refer back to the great compliment we gave you earlier when we said we did not think you were a serial killer. That's correct.
0: Kid. Well, I think it's best if we just wrap this shit up.
1: Probably. If
0: you made it through this episode, <laughs> we thank you from the bottom
1: of our hearts, and we apologize. We'll be sending out souvenir postcards to anyone That's who made right. it through.
0: <laughs> and a complimentary crab apple tree slab. <laughs> join us next week when we'll be experts oh wait what shouldn't we ask them to like like our Facebook page and
1: you know what if they made it through we have nothing to ask of them
0: (laughs) yeah just slightly let's ask slightly more from you (laughs) go like us on social media rate us on iTunes leave us a review tell your friends about us have them start with a different episode though yeah don't start on this
1: one And then join us next week When we'll be experts on two whole new topics Podcast adjourned And now for a note about our process I read a bunch of stuff then regurgitate it all back up In my very limited vocabulary
0: And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web And sometimes Wikipedia
1: so we owe a huge thank you to The Real Experts. For this episode, I got my info from a fascinating episode of This American Life, as well as old-timey articles, plus newer ones from the Associated Press.
0: And I pulled my info from a 48 Hours episode and articles by Marin Kogan, Nick DaCosta-Klippa,
1: and Dan Blahn. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors, and you know this episode was full of
0: them, are of course ours. No, they're everyone else's. Please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff.